0: This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. Well, Connor, this is not a slow news week in no. the legal world. Uh, we have some provocative questions yeah. uh, inspired by the events of the week. Number one, did that doggone General Milley commit treason? Mm-hmm. I believe, don't you get to execute people if there are three you do. witnesses? That's true. Well, yeah. And there are a lot of witnesses to what he did. But who knows? I wrote a book about it. I think Donald Trump thinks he committed treason. Uh, there is a healthy debate over whether he went overboard and talking to the Chai uh, and his fellow government members. So we'll get into that. Number two, should Elizabeth Holmes go to prison so, Elizabeth Holmes, to remind people, it was the 19-year-old Stanford dropout who formed a company called Theranos, raised $900 million from people like Henry Kissinger and Secretary of State George Shultz, all for in support of a technology that would detect a bunch of conditions, hundreds of conditions from one drop of blood. And there is not a happy ending to the story. We'll get into that. And finally, true crime wave time. Uh, will Robert Durst be executed? The guy who... Uh, now has been found guilty of murdering his friend 20 years ago so that the friend wouldn't talk about how he murdered his wife 40 years ago. It gets pretty convoluted, but there's so many other cases. There's the Gabriel Petito case and the Murdoch case and the Sussman case. Uh, America this came. is amazing. This is this
1: is too many lawyers returning to its legal roots. Yes. Every single one of our major topics today has to do with whether somebody committed a crime for which they might get a long jail sentence or death. This is amazing. Yeah, this is I, our, our most true-to-form
0: episode in the multiple years you and I have been doing a radio show together. I, I think that Kamala Harris believes that our podcast is the root cause of, of <laughs> true crime. I yeah, mean, it's just probably, guess. I probably. Okay, let us get to it. Number one, did General Milley commit treason? So we're at a bit of a disadvantage because the big Bob Woodward book doesn't drop till this Monday, the 21st of September. Mm -hmm. uh, Excuse me, 20th. And today is Saturday the 18th. So we haven't read the book, but we've seen some reports about it. And apparently what he's going to say, and Milley has come out and talked about it a little bit, uh, but this uh, Bob Woodward book uh, about the final act in the Trump drama, uh, says that uh, Milley picked up the phone when you know, he thought uh, Trump was going to be going crazy in the last couple of months of his administration and told China, give him a head, heads up, hey, look, uh, don't worry, uh, pals, uh, we're not going to be attacking you. Uh, and if we are going to attack you, I'll, I'll let you know. You're going to be the first to know. Um, and so he also, Milley also said to his fellow generals and people in the chain of command, sort of the supply chain of, of a nuclear bomb, yeah. if, if anything weird is going on, let, let's chat. And I think there's a procedure you've got to go through me. Every step in this process has to be followed.
1: You can't just shortcut anything. Even if the president says who president, he says, I remind you has the ultimate authority, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying I, as the joint chief of staff, uh, the head of the joint Chiefs of staff, um, chairman, uh, have the authority to, to veto the president. I'm just saying you've got to go through all the steps, which includes talking to me and checking all the boxes. And when the president comes to you and says, uh, skip all the procedure and get out there and wag that dog, don't do it. Go right. through the procedure, so it, it, he is telling them theoretically to contravene a hypothetical order from the president. If the president were to say, "Skip the steps, skip right. the procedure, don't tell Millie, just launch the nuke, or whatever,"
0: and wag the dog is is exactly what he was concerned about. And if you saw that was a Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro movie, classic twenty 90s, years ago, yeah, yeah. thirty almost. And, and the wag the dog concept is that a politician in trouble for some reason wants to distract folks from his trouble. Right. And so he does something creates yeah.
1: a a disturbance that distracts people. Yeah. The, the tail wags the dog. And Millie
0: thought notion. that Trump might do that, and right. a lot of people suspect that Clinton, when he bombed Bosnia, Herzegovina, Libya, w- sure. whatever he did, around the time of the Monica Lewinsky impeachment, right. Day stuff it was an attempt to distract a lot of criticism attention.
1: of him for that for so, sure and th- i mean you could have something just like that but is trump the calculating politician who could create just small enough a sideline disturbance that it would really uh confuse the pu- the american public but not cause world war III? do we t- do we trust that that trump would would be precise
0: enough uh, yeah. uh, you know we don't know what he had in his head we don't know what his capability level we can kind of guess about that <laughs> yeah but uh, okay th- focusing on what Millie did uh, you could say, well, you know, he didn't really help China. He didn't give them our nuclear codes. Uh, maybe he even cut the chance of a preemptive strike because maybe yeah. China was going to attack us because things were so weird and up in the air and they they sense vulnerability. Yeah, this is after January so, 6th. That it looks well, like- no, it was before also, I think. Oh, OK. There was some, yeah. But I mean, here's the problem. I mean, those are the arguments for Millie. I think the problem is he, he appeared to exceed his authority and we don't want. Anybody doing that, especially people in the military who have guns and can use them, you know, and as you stroll through the pages of history, of course, you encounter a lot of examples of military people exceeding the bounds of their responsibilities in a way that's detrimental to the public. I I talked to you about a movie. I don't know if you've seen it. Seven Days in May. Yes. So early 60s, Rod Serling wrote it. Uh, Burt Lancaster played a right wing general. Rod Serling wrote every Twilight Zone episode ever. Well, vast majority of them. He he did. uh, Bring some some uh, assistance in uh, or fellow writers. Anyway, this movie Seven Days in May involves Burt Lancaster as a big right wing general engineering a coup to take over the federal government because the president, played by Frederick March, uh, was kind of a pacifist who had said, you know what? Uh, we're going to blow each other up if somebody doesn't do something dramatic. I'm going to unilaterally disarm America. No more nuclear weapons. We're right. going to go to the Soviets and say, come on, let's hold hands. Be yeah, friends, let's hold hands. Burt Lancaster did not, was not a fan of this movie. No, idea. not a fan. Now, the hero of the movie is Kirk Douglas. He played a colonel who was sort of helping out Burt Lancaster unwittingly. And he figures out what's going on and he blows the whistle. And spoiler alert, you know, the coup is foiled. Uh, That's the kind of thing that's happened throughout history. That's the kind of thing that could happen in American history. Do we want the military getting involved like that? I mean, progressives, if they were faced with a real-life version of the seven days uh, in May, a general would unanimously condemn a general uh, trying to do this and uh, trying to stop a pacifist-leaning president. Uh, and yet, they're unanimously applauding General Milley, and I'm ju- not sure you can have it both ways. I mean, do we really want the military running the show? Don't we want elected officials running the show? And if they do a bad job, we we use our remedies, whether it's yeah. impeachment or, or boot them out at the polling place.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course we want um, we want the elected officials to be making th- these calls and deciding, uh, you know, for example, when we go to war. But um, we have abdicated abdicated that. Uh, responsibility. Our, our elected leaders decided that they wanted to throw their hands up and say that the military gets to decide, for example, when we go to war, when we use nuclear weapons, because uh, it's too d- politically dangerous. Uh, well, for what do you mean? I mean, to, I,
0: LBJ was I mean, running I mean, the show. His I mean,
1: military was supporting right. him. I mean, that the method for determining uh, having our elected officials uh, determine whether we go, whether we go to war is a declaration of war by Congress. And they've abdicated that responsibility because they hand over an authorization for use of military force in 2001, right after September 11. But they gave it to the president, not the generals. Exactly. They give it to the, the executive branch. And that AUMF has been used as the uh, foundation for the authorization to go kill people and, and drone strike everybody in the Middle East for 20 years now. And there's no sign that that's going to change. There's no indication that we're going to suddenly But how is that pertinent care. to the question
0: of executive versus general power? Because we're talking here about whether the general on his own should usurp the executive function.
1: No, You're right. You're right. I, I'm just indicating that generally, our elected officials don't decide whether we go to war. And the president is no different than that. The president, yes, was the one who's granted the AUMF by Congress. But Bush is, is given that right to go to war. But once that machine started, there's been no indication that You know, you're the 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 military is is not the one really making the decisions on the ground. Yeah. okay, Biden sets the the pull out from Afghanistan. Absolutely. But after that, we drone strike a bunch of uh, children in, uh, you know, in, in the public eye and still are killing people in the Middle East. That is a decision that it, it the military is making, and the military chain of command is deciding. Well, you know who who we blow up and when. Well, and, if the executive branch so. is very deferential to the military, right. and they they may be a and lot. The the more. The, the more deference that the president hands off to the military, the more they are insulated from the consequences politically. And they're going to keep doing that, in my view. It, the more they can delegate to the military, the better. Because it is no longer 2001 or 2002 when politicians, especially uh, presidents, can beat their chest and talk about their, their successes in the Middle East. It, it's not going to get easy all of a sudden out there. And so the more that they can defer, the better. I, I really think that presidents and uh, Congress, Congress obviously gave it up twenty years ago. They're basic; nobody they haven't declared war since what World War II or something. I mean, back when they had an AUMF to use uh, force in in Vietnam and and Korea, uh, they did basically the same thing that they did uh, in in uh, in Afghanistan. They basically just washed their hands of it and say, "Oh, that's not our job. We we don't have to declare war. We're just going to say you can use some military force over there, and here's some funding for it and all that." But Presidents, I, n- I think now post nine eleven have done the same thing because it's been such an unbelievable quagmire.
0: Okay, so let Nobody me ask you. to this be the face little of Vietnam let or me Afghanistan. ask you this though: Is it possible that when General Milley's counterpart in China got that interesting phone call, yeah, um, is it <laughs> possible that call. that he could have gone to his pals, the dear leaders of, of communist this China? It, this is it talking about the possibility of an attack by america on china that was the topic of the yeah. general milica is it possible they could have said to each other that's really odd what's going on what does it really mean uh, trump might attack us maybe the best thing for us would be to do a preemptive strike maybe yeah. a big one maybe a medium one a little one i mean that's not inconceivable it's uh, not. are you are you comfortable with Milley making that phone call, or would you, in retrospect, wish he hadn't done that? I mean, he—it's not like he doesn't have any job. If he had no job, his job it, is to
1: advise the president. Right. That's all he—he exactly. he does not send troops into battle. Right. So it's not like he had no job. If he had no job, then who cares who he calls? It doesn't matter, right? But if he... Well, if he's got inside information... yeah, Right. You know, but he's he's not... He wasn't conveying that we know so of... So he's like a whistleblower. ...inside information. He wasn't saying Trump's going to attack... His
0: personal opinion that Trump week. is really unbalanced and might do, do something wacky. But, but he but didn't say it, that. He Mr. Xi,
1: uh, I'll be there to help you. I don't think he said, called up and said the American president is wacko, is weak, mm-hmm. is going to do something uh, crazy... He in fact said, "Things look bad out there, folks. Uh, America looks weak right now, but we are not going to go off the rails. We are not crazy." And I mean, if he had gone out and given this speech in public, even though the Joint Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff doesn't give speeches, but if he'd written an op-ed that basically contained the contents of what uh, of of this
0: call. That wouldn't have been a problem. I don't think, and I think a lot of people say he should have quit and gone public with his concerns. Uh, yes, but the 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 the
1: at the same time, there are a lot of people who say, well, you know, you do want some people who are scared of nuclear war in the, uh, the in the room. You know what's going on? Too many
0: people. Too many. That pe- would be a good podcast title. That's true. Too yeah. many We
1: should get too many generals.
0: Yeah. Up uh, here. So. Um, we are going to switch gears. We're going to talk about whether Elizabeth Holmes, the creator, founder of Theranos, will go to prison. But mm. first, we're going to pause. And Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, uh,
1: you probably listen to this on Apple Podcasts because statistically, most people do. But you might use any other podcast platform. And whatever podcast platform you use, Stitcher, Spotify, you know, iTunes, well, that, that's Apple Podcasts now any of them they all have a similar system you can rate and give numbers out of five or stars out of five you can leave little comments you can hit the subscribe button to make sure that you get the episode pushed to your phone every week any of those things rating and subscribing and leaving reviews is very much appreciated Uh, and it makes us feel good which is why we do this so
0: please help us out and uh, click the button we'll be right back This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks, and I'm Connor Oaks. So this Elizabeth Holmes case, Connor, a lot of you know true crime buffs. We'll talk about true crime in a few minutes, but uh, a lot of people have been paying attention to it, but not everybody. Uh, but it's a really intriguing case, and it just kicked off in trial in San Jose Federal Court, in Northern California. So here's the deal: Elizabeth Holmes was a Stanford student at a bent for science, and as a sophomore, she dropped out when she patented a miniaturization of blood testing system, and she formed a company based in Palo Alto, a startup called Theranos. She hired a guy named Balwani, who was a big tech guy, to to help her run it and they raised 900 million dollars she became the world's youngest billionaire the value of Theranos soared to 9 billion dollars and what was Theranos all about well it, we know that if you want to test for diseases you let the nurse need a lot of blood stick a needle in your vein in your arm and she she takes out uh, several tubes full of it and sends it off it's to the lab. It's a very uncomfortable process. A yeah. lot of people hate it. People faint. Yeah. People, you know,
1: f- feel sick yeah. afterwards. Uh, p- some yeah. people are sick so that they can't give a lot of blood. There's a real need, medical need, for to be able to do more tests with less blood. That's yeah. a
0: big deal. And and it's you know, it's a big uh, process to have the blood analyzed for hundreds of conditions. So along comes Elizabeth Holmes, and she says, "Hey, good news! I've developed a system. One." pinprick drop of blood from your finger and I can tell you if you have 200 diseases or conditions from cancer to high cholesterol to HIV and so on, this is Swell. Invest in my uh, product and and buy it for your drugstores and your hospitals and so on. She was a, a, a charismatic person, an unusually deep voice, an intense stare. She wear, wears black turtlenecks just like Steve Jobs. She installed butter a bulletproof glass in her office. It was not butterproof. It no. was bulletproof. It might have been both. We don't know. Traveled by jet. You try to get through that glass with butter. <laughs> yeah. And, chauffeur, <laughs> and a chauffeur and security detail. Henry Kissinger and George Shultz were on the board. Uh, Senator Frisk, Yeah, I think that Senator should have been a clue, Leonardo. but sure. Okay. And so the investors, the Walton family, 150 million bucks, out, Rupert Murdoch. Turns out it was all a big fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she got sued. The SEC filed civil charges against Specifically, her. Specifically,
1: the fraud was that the technology she claimed existed to be able to test- uh, for an incredible amount of stuff with an incredibly small amount
0: of blood from the patient.
1: It just didn't exist. It was never there. It was a total right. scam on, oh, we'll she come up with a send, way to do this She would later. send
0: the blood that was given to her out to other companies with more traditional methods and, right. and lie to people about it. Yeah. So the Wall Street Journal breaks the story in 2015. The big reporter runs a bunch of articles. Then he ends up writing a book. And there's been a podcast and an HBO special and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so now in 2018, God, the hammer. God, people love crime. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So the hammer comes down. In 2018, the, the government uh, indicts her and her boyfriend slash chief operating uh, officer, Ramesh Balwani, on charges of defrauding investors investors. investors out of millions Mm -hmm. and deceiving hundreds of patients and doctors saying we've got this stuff. And she could go to prison for 20 years uh, based on wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud and so on. Here's the problem and the thing that makes it intriguing. They went through the jury selection process, opening statements, and now they've had a couple of prosecution witnesses. So the trial is only about a week old. The question is whether the government can prove she really knew the whole thing was a scam. Right. And that's kind of hard to do because you know, she was the CEO. She was the head of the thing. She got the patent for the miniaturization, but it's going to be a mind-numbing amount of technical uh, info. Yeah, exactly from from all the witnesses. Uh, what do you think, Connor? I mean, it could be difficult, especially if she if she takes the stand and, and makes a good impression. Although we'll talk about that in a minute, I kind of doubt she she will take the stand. Uh, do you think that the government might have a hard time proving that she actually knew? Uh, all of this technical stuff was was just a fake. yeah,
1: late in this week, there was a uh, a whistleblower who testified. Um, who people, thought, a lot of people thought was going to be the the smoking gun. The whistleblower, though, I don't believe um, did much in terms of pinning things directly to Holmes. The whistleblower gave more testimony that uh, basically showed, as I understand it, from you know secondhand uh, 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 assessments, basically showed that Theranos was a bad company that wasn't doing the right stuff. But it, it's it's hard to prove, as you said, that Elizabeth herself knew about all this with the orchestrator. And did
0: try, but it didn't really connect the dots completely. Yeah. But she did leave the suggestion that reports were made and complaints were given to Elizabeth Holmes. So I think it was, it helped the prosecution. I mean, maybe it's a bad sign that it wasn't a <clears throat> smoking gun deal right out of the box right. for the government. Frankly, I think that this
1: is a, I think that Theranos and the trial, uh, not maybe not the trial, but the Theranos is sort of a symptom of The fact that our system, our economic system, uh, rewards people who take these giant swingy risks and get people who have billions of dollars to put millions or hundreds of millions of dollars into their idea. There's so much potential money there, and all you've got to do is dupe some venture capitalists. Venture capitalists aren't like Nobel Prize winners over here. They're On the not other geniuses. hand, they have
0: technical people to advise them as to they're whether to put down $150 they're million. They're just bucks. finance
1: bros. They're <clears throat> just finance bros. And if all you've got to do is convince uh, a bunch of finance bros who Sometimes talk to smart people that you're smart
0: and that you're going to, you know, figure this problem out
1: and that you're ahead of the curve. Somehow. Well, if you're right, Everybody's then the investors thirsty. really
0: are stupid because, I mean, if you're throwing hundreds of millions of dollars around, I think if I were doing that, I'd make sure I had somebody who was not a finance bro, <laughs> but is a Ph.D. in, right. you know, blood Testing yeah, to you advise think me as to whether this works, but yeah. the,
1: this this case is the ultimate proof positive of the you know uh, how easy it really would be to be Bernie Madoff. Uh, you know, case like all you've got to do is provide some short term. You know, result or some return on on people's investment like Bernie did by handing out the money that people gave him earlier. And you've just got to, you know, keep the the thinnest veneer of of, like this is a company that made her the youngest billionaire in the world and was female. Yeah, thank you. And was a huge deal in the news. And there was all this coverage. Mm -hmm. and There was all this attention on it. The technology wasn't even like it wasn't as good as she said. It wasn't even like it was, uh, you know, just sort of faulty, like it made mistakes. It never existed. There was no uh, there was no invention, no technology at the bottom of all of this. It was a complete scam. It's it is the ultimate proof that that that, you know, villains win (laughs) the good guy finishes last like there's no way we can look at this trial and say oh yeah the system actually, you know, rewards merit. No, it rewards scams. Now, okay, obviously it also rewards merit, but the danger is that the scams come along with merit.
0: So one big question is going to be whether she takes the stand, and of course, you know, she doesn't have to decide right now. Usually the defense sees how the prosecution case goes. are
1: we behind? Do we need to take the stand to throw a Hail Mary pass?
0: Yeah, on the one hand, if you don't take the stand, jurors resent it. Yes, They're saying to themselves, we have to sit here and figure out who's right and who's wrong. I don't even and all hear? she had to do was look us in the eye and tell us whether yeah. she knew something or Seriously. lied or intended to lie. And she refused. So they do re- resent it. On the other hand, it's kind of a common strategy in right. high profile cases. Lawyers often keep their folks off the stem because it's so risky. I mean, you can get up there and you can hope that she'll bond with them and yeah. you know, she'll be as charismatic and persuasive with the jury as she was with the investors. But it gives the cross-examination the key. by the, the prosecution to be a, it can be a high Highlights reel of, yeah. of her alleged deception of patients and investors. And so uh, At, I, speaking as a, a lawyer
1: who talks to clients before testimony and trial, every client thinks that their opportunity to get on the stand and talk to the jury is their golden moment to the moment that they will say everything right and that everything will go perfectly and that they will tell their story and the jury will understand them. And guess what? The direct examination, direct meaning when you are being examined, be questioned by your friendly lawyer, that doesn't matter that's a sideshow. It's a little preview of what what matters. As everybody who's watched a, a, a court TV show knows, they often just skip the whole direct exam in the, the TV show. They jump to like the last question of the direct exam where the where the friendly lawyer says something like, uh, you know, some question that's totally leading, like, and that's why you were totally innocent, right? And the guy goes, yes, that's why I'm totally innocent. And you're like, why didn't the other side object to that leading question on direct? Whatever. And then they the, the friendly lawyer sits down and the cross Examination lawyer stands up and goes, I got a couple of questions, sir, Mm -hmm. and then eviscerates them. So that's the danger is that every client, even the ones who are professional scam artists like Elizabeth Holmes, and you think would do so well on the stand, there's literally nobody better than Elizabeth Holmes on the stand, you know, trying to con people for her life. Like imagine trying to put a con artist in jail. It's hard, right? They'll talk their way out of it to the jury. But even she, with all this pressure, She's going to get torn apart on the stand.
0: Now, if you're concerned about Elizabeth during this highly stressful time, you should be happy to know that uh, she should be featured on Robin Leach's Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Because during the trial, Mm -hmm. she and her husband, William Evans, a hotel heir, are living in a $135 million estate on 74 acres in Silicon Valley's Woodside town. The estate is named Green Gables, described on the website as an architectural masterpiece in nature's finest setting. Four pools, a tennis court, its own reservoir. Uh, (laughs) It has its own reservoir, for God's sake. Previously, they'd been in a $5,000 a month apartment in the Russian Hill neighborhood of San Francisco. Um, So they're doing all right. I think they're going to hope that the jury doesn't doesn't know about this. I remember a trial I I had years ago. uh, It was against a dentist. and involved uh, his disability insurance. And every day during the jury trial, he would show up in a beat up old VW bug or chug, chug, chug into the parking lot. Well, uh, the trial went on for a month and two or three of the days there was no jury because we had arguments about motions and lemony or whatever. And uh, on those days when there was no jury, he would show up in his Porsche nice waxed and shiny and so on and i thought oh that's pretty clever interesting yeah so naturally i would blurt out to the jury hey when you're not here he did no no do that but i thought about it it would have been nice that's called Uh, what's also nice is that after this next break we're going to talk about true crime wave in america dun dun done. stick with us on too many lawyers This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor So there is a true crime wave in America. I mean, there's this fascination.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I like you identified it. Sorry, I yeah. interrupt. I like you identified that this is a true crime wave in that it is a wave of coverage about crimes, media attention on crimes, high profile crimes. And I got to say, I love it because I cannot overcome the fact that, yes, media coverage of crime contributes to this mean world syndrome where everybody looks around and says, oh, my neighbor's going to murder me. And oh, it's a really scary world. And oh, we need more cops and 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 lawyers and, and judges and more enforcement and more prisons. And, and uh, that's the answer. And we just need more people with guns keeping me safe. Yeah, that's a problem with, with the existence of true crime media. But I love it. I can't get enough of it. Well, we you all know, can't get enough it, of it's it. It's
0: funny. A lot of people are murder mystery fans yeah Agatha Christie. they they love to read the books and now comes in the last you know generation decade or so podcasts that are focused and and if you look at the most serial is the hero the one who started it all people absolutely love it uh and you know in addition you know from oj to robert blake to michael jackson and so on people love their celebrities and these salacious stories and so on um and we talked earlier in the podcast today about this robert durst case i mean you know Classic true crime deal. But there are a few additional ones going on right now. Uh, A lot of people are thinking about this Gabrielle Petito lady. She's a missing Florida woman. And if you haven't followed the story, what what happened is that uh, about five months ago, or actually in June, I think, Gabrielle and her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, started on a four-month cross-country trip to go from Florida to the National Parks, end up in the West Their first mistake. Yeah, so a couple of months later in August, they're in Utah and things are not going well. Uh, Cops report that they had an argument on the road. There was a physical fight. She was actually deemed the aggressor by by the cops. And both of them tell the cops, look, this is like our mental health uh, break. It's not domestic assault. She was crying, said she suffered from anxiety. There's a video of Dash, a uh, the,
1: yes. the chest cam video from the cop uh, of the encounter talking to both of them. Yeah.
0: So this is August, a couple of months into uh, into the trip. Now, late August, suddenly no more communications between Gabrielle and her family. The family no longer hears from her, so they're kind of worried. Uh, the fiance, Brian Laundrie, returns to Florida. The cops take possession of the van. The family is wanting to talk to the boyfriend and find out what the hell happened, and he's clamming up refers folks to his lawyer uh and he's you know, he's not being very helpful so now cops want to question the boyfriend uh and her family wants him him to talk there were you know instagram photos depicting this carefree nomadic van life and so a lot of people started following it on, uh, on uh, social media, but it sounds like, you know, th- who knows if we'll ever get to the bottom of it. Uh, but the, c- the country can't get enough of this and yeah. you can bet there are going to be podcasts and oh, extensive of uh, and coverage of, course, of all And of course the this.
1: most recent, uh, you know, development 18 hours ago, uh, as of this recording, his, uh, attorney announces that his whereabouts are unknown, that laundry is on the lam, Oh so, my. so we the will plot see. thickens. Yeah, well, the plot thickens. We will see. Uh, you know, up until I would say this point, uh, I am the kind of person who gives potential criminal defendants the benefit of the doubt when they don't talk to the cops. Refer people to their lawyer. All of that, totally reasonable. In fact, it's what you should do as an innocent person. Do not give statements to the media. Do not give statements to the cop. Mm-hmm. Do not. I mean, obviously, if you can help find somebody who actually is legitimately just missing in the desert or whatever, tell people where, how where to go look for this woman who's you know wandering in the desert. But if uh, the circumstances are such that you're not going to save somebody's life by you know telling the 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 ambulance crew where to go. Do not implicate yourself in a crime. And that's right. But I'll, I'll say my legal advice uh, is also not to go on the lamp. Do not go Looks on the bad. run Looks to the bad. point where your lawyer has to tell the press, I don't know where my client is. His whereabouts are unknown. He's uh, running for the border or wherever this is he's just going." to
0: This is going to double the interest in the case. Oh, and yeah. I, I, I don't know if you followed the uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short uh, many Only Murders in the Building. Only, Only Murders happen. in the Building. I'm uh, I'm watching it every Tuesday. They drop a new episode. I'm, I'm well into it. But the whole theme of it is that the nation is obsessed with true crime. And these folks in this building in New York are doing a podcast about a murder in the their building so let me ask you this did did it possibly pop into your head uh maybe before this guy went on the lam in the gabrielle petito Petito, disappearance that it was all a big fake for publicity that they just wanted a balloon boy likes exactly balloon boy and so you you remember the balloon boy story and i i uh there was like a father who who built
1: this weird yeah, I, foily I, I, balloon. I can give you the like exact details. Blend. 2009.
0: Wow, okay. homemade helium filled. Did uh, you gas look this up before? Uh, we had the same thought I, as I'm... if I would need to look this up. Okay. okay. So uh, the father has a a, a huge uh, helium filled gas uh, balloon shaped like a flying saucer. He releases it into the atmosphere above Fort Collins, and they claim. To the police, their six-year-old son, Falcon, is missing, and he was trapped inside of this. They should have known that the name was Falcon. That's very suspicious. It is. So the authorities confirm that this balloon reaches 7,000 feet during a 90-minute flight. Worldwide attention, the boy, Falcon, is nicknamed Balloon Boy. National Guard helicopters, cops are pursuing the balloon. It lands 12 miles northeast of Denver. The boy is not inside. It was reported done, an object done. had been seen Ding. falling from the balloon. Oh, You know, tragic. Yeah, yeah. And they're searching. Later in the day, the boy's found hiding in the attic of the home where he'd been the entire time. Right. Boy, wait till your father gets home. Yeah. Oh, no, no, the father was behind it. No. So it turns out the parents planned it as a stunt. The husband gets 90 days in jail on a $36,000 fine. Mom's sentenced to 20 days in jail. Later, they claim they were pressured into a guilty plea with a a threat that mom would be deported. And then in 2020, get this for a, a little coda to the story they're both pardoned by governor jared polis love it so balloon boy
1: yeah hey, i've never it, understood this and i've always took took uh, taken balloon boy as like the ultimate example of how people will do anything for attention Yeah, even though there's no other benefit to them That's besides I thought attention. maybe
0: gabriel petito, petito the poor yeah. lady's still alive yeah. i'm hoping
1: we all love we would all love to hope on these things you know i would say i would say that I'm, I'm sort of torn on, on these true crime stories because while a little bit, it's like lascivious, like, like, uh, you know, appealing to our baser instincts, ooh, titillating stories of murder and often, you know, romance and mm-hmm. money and all these things that, that are, are collide. And it, as I said earlier, contributes to this notion that like, oh, the world is scary. And if only we just had more people with guns, but at the same time, Maybe there is an element I want to hear what you think about this. Maybe there is an element to true crime media and coverage of high profile cases that is actually kind of reassuring to people that, okay. there's not that much murder out there because when there is a big, scary murder, we all look at it. We all pay attention to it. And so maybe uh, the world isn't that scary and maybe the rules are sometimes enforced. And as long as the right verdict comes down, maybe the bad people do get what they deserve in the end. And Do you feel like there's overall net in the society like more inflamed tensions or more like – this is actually, I good. guess this I don't works. think
0: that the reports on uh, true crime stuff or high profile cases like uh, Michael Jackson and, and OJ and so on. I don't know that it plays with our head so much. I think we we give into the, you know, the Roman era, bread and circuses. People right. want to be entertained. Yeah. The politicians know that. And so they entertain them and they yeah. give them the money and so on. But I, I think I think instead it's just a matter of you know, when you push all the buttons, when it's salacious, when it involves sex and race and, and so on the interest is going to be generated. And I don't know that it... I mean, people basically, unless you've got a phobia, you know you get into an airplane, you could crash. But you also know it's just not going to happen. It's like you're not going to win the lottery. Yeah, you you could get hit in in a a wreck. You just know it's not going to happen. So I think no matter how much people hear about crime, true crime... I think they separate it from their own life. It's it's a lot of entertainment. I will say, having gone through the, the high-profile wars over the years, I think there is a, a benefit to heavy reporting of big crimes because it teaches people how the legal system works. We learn about the Fifth Amendment. We learn about the fact that, there's a civil case, but also a criminal case. O.J. is found not guilty of murder, but but liable in the civil case Very true. for wrongful death. And a hundred other things about the system that is our system that we're all subject to. Yeah. So in that way, it, it, it's a benefit uh, to, to have. Man,
1: that. this is a deep and interesting topic. I, I wish some sort of high-profile litigator and legal commentator would write a book on this subject. If only or, or have a podcast.
0: Yeah, but that would work too. How cool would it be to write a book? Yeah, that would be very cool. But think of all the ink that would be uh, <laughs> spilled, spilt and wasted. All right, it's time for Guess the Verdict. So, this is our game show every single week at the end of Too Many Lawyers. Connor is the contestant, and I get to be the Will Ferrell, Alex Trebek guy and ask uh, the question. Can't wait. Uh, these, this is a real case, and Connor will get to guess the outcome, and we'll see if he's right. Frederick James faced drug and weapons charges in federal court. He needed a way to pay his legal bills. Sure. So he copyrighted his name and then announced to the judge, Your Honor, because of the copyright, I'm entitled to a royalty every time my name is mentioned in court. I love it. The judge asked what the per name fee amounted to. I guess the judge had a good sense. of Yeah. And uh, Mr. James said, "Uh, it's $5,000 per mention. Sure. And mentioned to the judge, he has a calculator there. The tab is now up to 151 million dollars hey you gotta pay those bills yeah. get the bag so he files uh, an action apart from his drug and weapons charge he files sure. an action for his royalties for the, his copyrighted name i know this is a tough one connor but who do you think won this titanic legal battle yeah this is um i'm gonna say
1: not a tough one uh but it, it's a great example of everyone's favorite notion of a, a concept of like um, what people call sovereign citizens because, well, they called themselves this, right? this It's this this idea, these people who think, well, I can beat the legal system by being outside of the legal system. I'm going to say, well, because the flag in the courtroom has a fringe on it, uh, this is technically a court of admiralty law, not a court of, of, of regular law. And I'm not susceptible to admiralty law because I wasn't in the ocean. Right. When the crimes occurred, right? It the other half of it is by doing or saying some sort of magic word, uh, I can get the cops who are stopping me, to, or uh, the courtroom and the bailiff and, and the, the entire power of the legal system to somehow uh, enter into some sort of contract with me. You trick the world, the cops, the the state, uh, the judge, whoever, into a uh into into a, a contract with you and then you like get them with a loophole mm-hmm. it's this it's it's i i don't like to say brain disease but it's a, it's a brain problem where you think you're smarter than everyone else you think you can beat everyone at their own game you think you can change the rules uh and it literally never works. And it literally has never worked and will, ne- in this good. one case that you just described, of course, will never work. Uh, you cannot trick the legal system into so, uh,
0: accepting some sort final, of bizarre contract. Final answer, final answer. Final Are answer, this guy rocks. Okay, here's the answer. You're right. But the judge did order Mr. James to undergo a psychiatric evaluation. So what nice he got some judge. free
1: free health psychiatric care. care And that's what we want it. in this country is free health care, baby.
0: Next this is how I get it. I'll be a sovereign citizen. Next week, I'm going to tease the uh, guest, the verdict topic for next week. It involves a funeral home with the world's worst marketing plan. That's next week on Too Many Lawyers. You have yourself a great week, and we'll see you then.